Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. Canada Post Insight is a magazine for marketing thought leaders and a showcase for its leading practitioners. Each issue of Insight brings you innovative marketing ideas for inciting action. Read Insight now and sign up for a free subscription at canadapost.ca forward slash Insight Magazine. to give you a first-hand glimpse into the future of Canadian business. It's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Really excited to bring to you something special that I've been working with, and that's a community, a new community where we're engaging online with entrepreneurs from around the planet. And I invite you to join me. All you have to do is go to the link www.headspacefe.com, where amazing conversations are happening with entrepreneurs. Um, Shafin Diamond is the founder and CEO of Victory Square Labs, a venture builder that builds startups in the web, mobile, gaming, and film space. Shafin Diamond found entrepreneurship through watching his own father and uncle build their own businesses to create wealth and success within his own family. At just 19 years old, Shafin built and launched his first startup. And now a serial entrepreneur, as we always, we can never just have one. Shafin has launched over 40 startups in 24 different countries. Incredible and has always made sure to include a charity component into each one of them. Shafin has used entrepreneurship as a tool to give back for years, has invested in children and family organizations such as the BC Children's Hospital Foundation, MealShare, We Families, Children's Wish Foundations, and many more nonprofit organizations across Canada. His current venture and role as a founder and CEO at Victory Square Labs invests in people, 
performance and possibilities to foster emerging technology solutions. Shafin knows the importance of finding solutions for pain points and market gaps, the true essence of success of being an entrepreneur, and works to find the best accelerator partners and works to invest in mission-driven founders with an ultimate goal of building the tech giants of the next century. This is going to be a great conversation, ladies and gentlemen. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Shafin about his journey into the entrepreneurship world and why giving back to community and nonprofits holds a special place in his heart and how this is baked into the way he does business. Shafin, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show, man. Thanks for having me, brother. I, I got to bring you around with me to do that intro, man. You made me sound good. You made me look good. Well, you know, it's funny. I always say uh, when, I, when I'm doing speaking and so on, when they're reading off my bio and I, I get on the stage and they said, you give people any information, they'll read it. They don't back check it. They could, they could just, you know, a special advisor to, uh, to, the, to, the, to the NASA space shuttle. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not, but they'll read it. No, dude, that's, a, that's, our, that's our amazing team led by our producer, Maddie Stiles. They just do a great job on this scripting, on the research, and all that stuff. So I'm just lucky to be the front end. It gets gets all the freaking credit, but they Not deserve bad, it. Yeah. So look, uh, amazing journey. You, you have been on all kinds of wonderful mixtures, making up this great soup of success. And oh, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, so <laughs> so tell me, we're going to go on a bit of journey that's going to d- discuss many things. But at the end of the conversation, what are you hoping that uh, our listeners take away from the show today? You know, I always uh, benefit from just hearing other people's stories and experiences. So hopefully something in uh, my good, bad and ugly history will, uh, I don't know, shed some light, maybe give some guidance or, uh, you know, for, for other aspiring entrepreneurs out there. Love it. Uh, you know, I did a speech once. Uh, it was about my journey with one of my businesses. Exactly what I call it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's too funny. So it's tell always, us, you know. Yeah. It, it, it is. And I think that's part of the, you know, as you get more seasons and just in your voice, you know, you're you're much more comfortable on that than people beginning at the, at the you know, the, the first business, which you started at the age of 19. What, what was your first startup? So, you know, I actually, my first startup was like, I think when I was like 14 or 15, um, I was uh, traveling to the U.S. buying boxes of baseball and hockey cards, uh, bringing them back to Canada, splitting splitting them up into packs and selling the packs out. So I started at an early age, just hustling, um, trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. And that would have been kind of the first thing and that evolved into uh, throwing uh, throwing high school dance parties. I think I was in grade <laughs> 10 or 11 at the time. Uh, nice. Booked a hall. Yeah, hired a DJ, sold tickets. Um, and that's what actually uh, provided uh, a bunch of money for me to buy my first car. So, yeah. <laughs> and what was your first car? Uh, Toyota 4Runner. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it was great. I got sick and tired of taking the bus. And, you know, my parents were one of those parents that said, you know, if you want something, you know, go out and, and, uh, and and earn the money to be able to do it. And so I don't think they thought I was actually going to be able to make that much money. But, uh, you know, I was I was I was focused. I had a goal. And um, yeah, it was awesome. So. Well, you come from a DNA of family uh, entrepreneurship anyway. So uh, they may not have thought it, but they were pretty proud of you for uh, for going in that journey. That's for sure. So uh, and uh, so a little background on your family, because, you know, I get asked all the time, you know, are you made an entrepreneur? Are you born it? And I think part of it comes from obviously your upbringing. Can you just talk us a little bit about uh, what, what's your family story in entrepreneurship? 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely think in my case, it's like in my DNA. Um, my, uh, my parents uh, were born and raised in East Africa and Uganda. Yes. And uh, early 70s, there was a military coup kind of literally overnight. They had to leave with just kind of the clothes on their back. Um, super fortunate to make their way to, to Canada, get refugee asylum in Canada. And I know as a child in my early upbringing and years, I kind of witnessed, you know, my dad and my uncles, uh, you know, working multiple jobs just to kind of, you know, feed the family being in a, in a new country. Uh, and then both of them kind of opened up uh, their own businesses. So my dad uh, opened up a pharmacy and my, my uncles opened up a, a chain of kind of electronics and movie stores. So as a kid, I used to, you know, go to the store and sit there all day and watch them hustle, uh, you know, uh, watch them work long hours, um, you know, got to learn about uh, how they were dealing with customers, how they're dealing with suppliers and vendors, buying products, selling products, um, just kind of dictating their own um, their own their own future. And I was, you know, kind of surrounded like surrounded around that at such a young age. And I think that kind of inspired me to um, to kind of be be an entrepreneur. I don't think as a child I ever actually imagined myself doing anything other than kind of working for myself mm. um, by just being you know surrounded by them and, and, and seeing that. So did they call themselves entrepreneurs? I know. I, I, I don't think it was even a term that they kind of referred no. to. I, I think, you know, just small business owners, uh, yeah. you know, they, they were, uh, it's funny. I, I don't think the, the word entrepreneur was something that was kind of introduced into my vocabulary until <laughs> probably university. Yeah. Uh, there's no term for it, just basically business owner. Yeah, it's so funny, isn't it? How it's coming. And of course, back then it was you know, risk, 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 and now, of course, it's it's got a much higher level of one recognition, but two credibility built around it. One of my when I when I speak in front of my crowd, I always say my biggest joy will be the day when there's three moms sitting around, and one mom says, "Oh, she says my my son's a doctor," and the other one says, "Oh, my daughter's a lawyer," and then the third one goes, "My uh, my daughter or son is an entrepreneur," and the other two go. Oh, you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, well, it's so it's so funny you say that. I mean, I think when I was growing up, um, even though you know I was surrounded by entrepreneurs, um, my parents were super focused on wanting me and my brother and sister to go into you know either medicine or, or, or law <laughs> or accounting. Like that's what they were pushing us to, it's towards. Because I think that in their minds, you know, education was such a focus, but they thought of that course. equaled stability. Yes. Um, yeah. But it's funny. Yeah. They, 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 they didn't want me to be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, they wanted me to kind of get something what they deemed like a respectable profession. So. <laughs> Boys, you fooled them. You still got respectable yeah. and you didn't become one of them. That's what they wanted. Exactly. Safine, take us on your journey of, you know, since, <laughs> since you were 14 years old and to where you are to now, the, the, uh, the script <laughs> says that you have been in over 40 studies. You've, you've launched over 40 startups in 24 different countries. I want you, I want you to take us not company by company, although I do have specific questions on some of that, but I want you to take us on that journey of starting and growing. And, and I, I'm only going to make an assumption, some of them that you're no longer have through selling or whatever, but that whole, I mean, that's a lot of startups, dude, and, and a lot of different spots. So what's, what's driving that? So, you know, I think a lot of it 
um, you know, it was just, you know, dumb luck to be honest with you. But I think the, the foundation of a lot of that kind of started with, you know, what I kind of define as the first real, real startup that, um, that my, my team and I launched. And it was, uh, it was a, a matchmaking service kind of while I was in, in university. And, you know, it was a, a tech product. <laughs> You're um, more popular than the beer rep. Well, no, it was great. I mean, like this was in university. This was like mid nineties. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was really interesting, you know, uh, using the web to connect kind of two people as opposed to, you know, classified sections or, you know, going to a, to a club or pub, but it was just interesting. I mean, the, you know, what I realized through that experience, and again, this was, I think 95, 96 was that, you know, the internet was going to change the way we are traditionally used to doing things. Um, and tech is borderless at the time dating was, was borderless. And so, you know, it was, a, a, I realized early on, I could build a product uh, and this product uh, not only would, you know, could service the, the North American market, but it was something that solved a pain point in other markets, you know, basically using a, a dating site to connect to people, uh, whether you were in Canada, Russia, Brazil, India, um, it was something that was borderless and, and easy to kind of translate into multiple languages. Um, and so that core business was actually really key because it, it, it taught me about the type of businesses at that time that, you know, I, I wanted to kind of go into. And what was really interesting about the that business was, you know, you would drive, let's say, a million customers to your site and five, six, seven percent of them would convert into paying users. But the balance of those uh of that audience that you brought onto your site, um, you were, you know, there were other things that you could service or provide for those, those users when they left your site. And, and that kind of defined other businesses that we, we did post, you know, the, the, the dating project, we became known as kind of growth hackers. We nice. were very good at driving customers to, um, you know, to one site. And then we would buy, build or invest in companies that we knew we could take our users from one site to the other. Um, and that kind of formed our, our, this venture build model uh, that you kind of mentioned, which was, you know, we weren't passive investors, like investing randomly into, into companies. We invest into companies that we knew we already had customers for, or we had a, a pain point in our existing, in existing business. And so two kind of, kind of examples that came out of that core, uh, one was payments. Um, we had a pain point in our, our dating site with payment solutions. So we went and found a payments company and invested in it, knowing that, you know, it would, we had a big customer already lined up, which was ourselves for that. Um, the second was we, we, you know, I'm kind of sometimes embarrassed to say, but we, we got into the online gaming or gambling space in the mid nineties, um, <laughs> because people that were, you know, kind of going onto the dating site and comfortable sure. using their credit card information, <laughs> yep. also people that were interested in trying, you know, sports betting or poker at the time. And so, Serving your customers, man. Serving your customers. Yeah. Well, exactly. So, um, yeah, you know, those are examples kind of of, 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 you know, that that early business kind of really framed the the core of a lot of what we did post. So vertical integration, I think it's amazing that, you know, when you think about what you did back then, 
I mean, it was really just big companies that were ultimately doing that. And, you know, they were creating their own family of businesses and, and by, and by creating it themselves, you just went off and found other organizations. This is, I want you to be a cousin to this so I can help feed you. And it just, it's it cascaded from there. Is that fair to say, you know, in a simplest form? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to, to that point, you know, I realized um, when, when I was an entrepreneur starting off, you know, I was, I had to do everything, but I was really actually only good at like maybe one or two things. Yeah. And so um, I realized, you know, there are a lot of other entrepreneurs out there that um, are good at, you know, maybe the, the idea or maybe they're very technical, but they don't have a, a good support system that to me really, you know, I think kind of has a huge part of determining success. And so this idea of a venture build model, when we would go out knowing that we had either customers for, or, you know, required a pain point in our existing business for, for, for another venture, we also were providing that entrepreneur, um, you know, with uh, additional support system because we'd be actively involved to help kind of complement them right. and vice, ver- vice versa. They were, you know, filling a gap in our existing uh, kind, of, uh, kind of model. And so, um, you know, the tech, tech itself has kind of become somewhat commoditized. Yeah. It's really, yeah. you know, it's, it's really your ability to, you know, have an idea, you know, um, have a really good team and your ability to get customers. And so we found that, that this kind of model, uh, you know, allowed us to complement an entrepreneur, but also have them kind of complement us. So, yeah, that is, I'm, I'm so happy you made that point. I was a couple of weeks ago, I was in a meeting and uh, this guy got up, he says, I'm really tired of people saying they're in their pitches. I'm a tech company. No, what you are is you're solving a problem and you're serving customers through tech. You're not a tech company. And you know, the commoditization of, of tech, you're right. I mean, look, labor shortages aside, it's pretty easy to start a a company that uses tech. I mean, really any company uses tech. We're using tech right now to do a podcast. So uh, I love that, that reinforcement. One of the things that you, you touched about the web mobile and gaming, but it's also, you were in the film space. Can you talk about uh, that, what that journey was? So, you know, we're based in Vancouver, which is, you know, like Toronto kind of referred to Hollywood North. Uh, uh, so totally random. We were, uh, you know, doing some debt financing on uh, uh, some local films that were being produced uh, produced here in Vancouver. Uh, got to really, really get to know some of the the producers behind it who were local. They themselves were entrepreneurs as well, and um, we got into looking at the the entertainment space more as a whole. So uh, with mobile gaming, uh, it helps if you have really good IP, and a lot of really good IP kind of you know, translates into IP that's being used in the film space as well. So we thought that um, going to the film space, A, allowed us to, you know, work with entrepreneurs locally here in Vancouver that, um, that you know, that we could support, but also it allowed us to kind of get a better understanding of the film space uh, to see if there's tools in that space or skill sets we can learn or relationships we can, we can use to help on our, mo- on the mobile gaming side of our business. And just to, two specific examples, um, Working on those film projects here in Vancouver allowed us to develop relationships with some agencies that control the IP behind uh, Men in Black. Oh, yeah. Top Gun. So, yeah, yeah. super funny. They're doing a reboot mm. of the Men in Black movie this summer in June. And I heard that. Sh- yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's coming out. Uh, I think it's called Men in Black International. Um, so we were able to 
leverage those relationships that we developed on the film side to get access to the IP. And we're building the mobile game that's being released in conjunction with the movie this summer. And then Top Gun. So the old school Top Gun, Tom Cruise, uh, they're doing a remake uh, next summer. It comes out. And <laughs> it's we're building the mobile game for it. Yeah, it's a, re- it's a remake. He's going to be in it. Tom, Tom Cruise is going to be in it as well. But um, we're, yeah, we've got the rights to build the game uh, for it. But we were able to, 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 to develop those relationships by, you know, dabbling in the, in the film space. So. I want to, um, we're going to get into your, uh, you know, your social work and all the great causes that you support in a second. And we're going to talk about that using that as a, as an important piece of, of one of, of enhancing your own des- uh, desires to get back, but also how it works for companies. But I want to, I want to, um, just reference, uh, what was in this venture build model? Cause I'm leaning in and I'm sure that others are leaning in um, and, and learning from this. What is the, what are kind of the one or two must haves in order to be successful in that space? Um, so, you know, I think for, for, you know, success is so uh, it's so subjective. I think for us, when we determine success and, 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 you know, uh, not only from like an entrepreneurial viewpoint, but also from an investment viewpoint for us, uh, the venture build studio meant kind of adding and complementing our uh, our organization with really really smart uh, founders and entrepreneurs that were kind of you know either building pain points for our existing kind of business. Um, so uh, for us, it meant going into you know being in verticals that we have experience in, um, having a need for a specific you know software or technology. Or like lacking a, a you know a skill set or, or, or entre- an entrepreneur that can kind of complement what what we were doing. So I mean I think there's a lot of like angel investors, a lot of VCs, um, uh, you know uh, passive investors um, out there, accelerators, incubators. I think all of them, you know, generally from you know our, our experience has been making sure that you're focused on spaces that you understand um, that you've you know, developed either a, a team or um, an advisory group that, again, can can complement you within that vertical you're in. Um, and then having some sort of distribution partner um, that, you know, gives your business the, the best chance of success. Like I think we talked about earlier, tech has become kind of commoditized. It's really your team, uh, ability, you know, your game plan um, and your ability to execute. And that execution sometimes helps if you have distribution or customers kind of lined up. In, in that arena. So for us, our, our venture build model, I think is based on, you know, staying in our lane, like areas that we, we, we were good at, um, and then complementing ourselves with either solutions to uh, pain points we're having in our business or adding team members that kind of complement kind of what we're doing. Yeah, that's, I really appreciate it because it's, 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 uh, it's not just a matter of, oh, it's, uh, I'm going to see somebody over there that can help me. Therefore, I'll go hang out with them and then we'll instantly have success. There's a lot of key elements behind uh, creating it and then maintaining it and building upon it. So thank you for that. Um, before we before we get into the, the, again the, the the wonderful work you're doing and giving back, twenty four different countries. Where was the first country you went into, and what has been since then uh, the greatest ride from a country perspective? You say, man, that country's got its act together. So you, you know, I think uh, that I mean, obviously, being a Canadian company, the first market we went to was the U.S. Yes. Uh, shortly after that, we went into South America. So uh, the first country after North America was Argentina. 
than Chile and Brazil. And they were, they were, they were online dating sites that we, yes, we yes. Kind of took into those markets. But to be honest with you, you know, in, you know, we've had projects in Africa, India, Asia, Europe, you know, South America. To me, it's, it's, it's always been the North American markets, the U.S. And, and you know, the U.S. primarily is the Mecca, you know, largest consumer base of, of you know, of, of, of consumers online. Um, to us, that's been kind of the, you know, you know, if there's a market that had its act together, you know, for us on our, in our experience, it's been the, it's been the U.S. Yes. Um, um, you know, Canada, kind of a close second. And then I, I would say Australia, has been a successful market for us. So in online in dating and online gaming and gambling, um, the Australian market, you know, they, they, um, they hold their own per capita. <laughs> yeah, they do. So, um, <laughs> and I think, you know, we, we've had a lot, a lot of success around those projects in English speaking markets yes. on the gaming side, I would say Korea. So, I mean, we've ah. been involved in, yeah, we've been involved in so many different verticals, but I mean, so I think it's so subjective to the vertical, um, you know, uh, that, that, you know, that we're actually, you know, in that's kind of dictated the success we've, we've had yeah, you know, right. on the block. Yeah. Blockchain space. It's been Asia, like Singapore, you know, mm. that, that, uh, that kind of embraced that space, um, uh, early. So it's always been kind of a different market depending on the kind of the vertical, but you know, the U S is a Mecca for that. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, the, the luxury where this journey has taken you, it's, it's up in the cloud and you're able to, to jump over borders without being scrutinized too much. Uh, but, but how do you, you know, we talked earlier about the payments. Um, you know, I was uh, looking at starting a business a while ago about helping um, nonprofits raise money through, through online 50 50 draws whatever it happened to be anyway the point is is that you start talking to people like skype or no sorry stripe and so on and everybody gets all freaking wacky uh and you know governments and so on how did i mean yeah you can still go offline what i find is that in canada it's it's not <laughs> illegal to do online gambling but you can't do it in canada or something like that how do you deal with that that stuff which is the foundation of pretty well well not pretty well but a lot of what you're doing so it's interesting we Started in the online online gaming space in I'd say like ninety six ninety seven so it was it was new there was just there was no regulation around it period and it was kind of the wild west um, we got out of actually accepting payments um, and went into the back end of building the the the, the tech and uh, the software and and you know managing affiliate programs because you know we could see that as soon as the governments came in and, and let's say the North American market specifically um, that regulation was going to come in and 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 it was going to impact uh, you know the nature of that of that business. And in the U S there was what they call the UEGA regulations, which came out in 2006. So we were very, um, you know, we saw that kind of the writing on the wall and, and adapted our business to still be able to be successful and kind of thrive within those kind of new, new regulations. But right. I mean, regulations, are, regulations are the, are the challenge. I mean, I think in mm-hmm. so many different markets, you kind of got to navigate, get, navigate it. So in the, in the online gaming space or online gambling space, Canada falls, you know, kind of follows the U.S. lead. Um, so in North America, you know, <laughs> unless, we, unless you're in cannabis. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Unless you're, yeah, unless you're in cannabis, which, which is changing. And we're in the cannabis space and we've actually been able to, to kind of see that, that arbitrage opportunity, which has been interesting. But yes. um, yeah, so in the, in the gaming space for us, you know, we in North America, we took a backseat to actually, you know, uh, accepting wagers on our, our sites as an example, because we saw the regulation was going to come. 
Um, and we went into either building software and games that could be licensed to uh, operators who had a license to be able to offer them. So, you know, lottery corporations or land or native-based casinos, for example, in Canada and the U.S., and then went to markets like, you know, the U.K. Um, and Europe, which were, um, you know, which, would had a, which had a more favorable regulatory framework for it. Uh, mm. For, for that. So, sure. um, yeah. yeah. So, Again, you know, the luxury, right? Yeah. You go, you go to yeah. where they're, they're going to let you play. Yeah, ex- exactly. You know, tech mm. is borderless. So you're able to kind mm-hmm. of, uh, to kind of, um, you know, to, to go into to markets that, that, that allow for it. So mm, I love it. Yeah. I'm a, my background is in food and primarily behind the scenes stuff. But then I get in the restaurant world for a while and it, uh, it went for about nine years, but then the cost of maintaining the, the, the infrastructure, the physical infrastructure, just, you know, the, the cards came down. So that's why I love the whole area of, uh, of what you're doing because of the reasons you just said it's it's borderless so yeah. congrats congratulations on all of your journey and continue to have of course but underlying all that is uh, is your desire to give back and you know we we talked about invested in children family organizations and and many other nonprofits. What, is there, do you have a strategy for this yeah so you know it's it's a it's a strategy that's kind of evolved you know over um you know over time i think for me, uh, you know, when I look back at kind of my history, I, I feel so fortunate and grateful that you know, if you think about it, my, my parents had to kind of leave and my community had to leave the, their country overnight with just the clothes on their back and, mm. and you became refugees. But it's almost like we won the lottery by <laughs> being accepted into Canada. Like, you know, Wonderful. Canada, Canada gave, you know, our, our community an opportunity to not just like survive, but, but thrive. You know, uh, my sister, my brother, sister and I grew up with good education, uh, nutritious food, you know, healthcare, stable government. I mean, irregardless of any sort of financial hardships that my family had when we first came here, you know, we had a roof over our head, food on the table, love and support. And I feel that we were so blessed. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of children that are born into either countries or cities or, or families or environments that they don't choose. And so, you know, if they're not provided with just the basics of, you know, roof over the head, food on the table, um, you know, some love and support uh, and, and an education, they're never going to be able to kind of break that that cycle of, of poverty or whatever they've kind of grown right. up in. So for me, for me, because, you know, I feel that I've been so fortunate and blessed, I found my calling and my legacy to be, you know, to trying to, to work with my team to do what we can to, you know, to help you know, vulnerable children and, 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 and youth. And it kind of is around this thesis of, you know, I truly believe that, you know, education is the best, you know, tool to break the cycle of poverty, but you can't educate a child unless that child is, you know, has got food in his, his or her belly, right? you know, um, is in some sort of supporting uh, home um, and feels safe and secure. And so everything we've done is you know, it's kind of been, uh, around that. So we've integrated into, uh, you know, the, 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 the businesses or the communities that we kind of operate into and have, have worked with some, 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 some organizations and groups, um, to, to kind of do that, um, specifically here in Vancouver. So I, you gotta apologize. Some, I gotta apologize. Sometimes I ramble about these things cause I'm super passionate about it, but you know, you, you asked <laughs> about our, our kind of, yeah, no, I'm, I'm <laughs> dude, <laughs> 
you may came. You, sorry, what was your home country before you came to Canada? Uh, so I was I was actually born here, but my, okay, my family's cool. from Uganda. Yeah, okay, Uganda. Okay, so you may have Ugandan blood in you, but you're talking Canadian when you say, "I'm sorry for talking so much about giving <laughs> yeah. giving to people." <laughs> Talk, well, preach, no, man, he, dude, go for he, it. <laughs> well, so you know, I'll, I'll tell you, so it's so it's so interesting. Like the our, our, you know, we, you know, we have a, you know, thesis which is, you know, education, you know, is the best tool to break the the cycle of poverty. We have a focus on on vulnerable children and youth. Um, you know, the core is around not just you know making sure you know home uh, safety, security, nutritious food, health, you know, and, and education, but. It's, it's interesting when we work with just like we would work with a, you know, a startup and, and work with that founder to kind of complement him or her with tools or resources that allow them to be successful. It's the same kind of concept when we're working with not for profit groups. A lot of our work focuses around capacity building. Um, you know, we want to be able to support that uh, not-for-profit that's working on, you know, the, the, the a cause that, that is, you know, kind of dear to our, ourselves, but not just give them a check, you know, but work with them to provide them with the, you know, kind of the tools and resources so that they're sustainable. Uh, and so it's very, very interesting in, in how we as a group work with not just entrepreneurs and startups, but it's almost the same kind of approach to almost like social enterprises on the not-for-profit not side. Um, Mealshare, you mentioned earlier, is one of those examples where they're a social enterprise of really, really bright guys. Um, they're actually former consultants, but we work with them uh, and help complement them with additional skill sets to, to allow them to run it almost like a business that's sustainable, uh, ah, that can continue yeah. to do continue good. Yeah, and, and one other side note too. So here in Vancouver, we have this area, it's, you know, the downtown east side and, you know, the downtown east side for, 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 for decades has been kind of, you know, looked at is, is kind of this downtrodden area where there's been, you know, we, we haven't been able to kind of break this, this cycle of poverty that's kind of existed in there. And when you look at it, there's tons of charities in that area and region working, and there's tons of, you know, billions of dollars that have gone into that region. But the one thing we saw is that there's no collective approach to it. So for example, you'll see, you know, five different organizations working on school programs, but not talking to each other or, or sharing best practices to ensure that every dollar they're spending is, you know, the impact is, is significant. And then for example, you know, you provide services for a child when he or she goes to school, but if there's no programming after school, all the good work you've done, all the dollars you've spent there, Kind of go to 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 avoid. So there's no transition from school to, to to after school programs, and then you know after school programs. When the child goes home, if there's no programming for let's say the single parent or single mother, um, again all of the good work that's done in the school program and after school program is almost you know kind of um, lost if there's no programming and, and and funding available for the parents. So we've tried to actually test pilot and work with organizations that are that are talking on all three levels. So at school, after school, at home, you know, for the, the single parents um, to help provide support systems for, for them. And I think you need to have like, a, you know, not only that type of collective approach, but do it for a prolonged period of time. You know, I think we're so, we want to see results, you know, almost instantly, but these things take, you know, a, a decade and you need to have right. a focused approach and a strong team and you need to kind of stick to it. So, you know, these are some of the things that we've seen and, and that are important to, to kind of us and how, how we approach kind of the, the philanthropic kind of um, side of things. So what 
of all of those, of which there's a gazillion, uh, which one of the ones you walked away from you said, and I'm not, just, I'm not asking you to pick your favorite. I'm asking you to pick one. You say, man, that was cool. Well, you know, there's, there's so many, I'll give you one example. Uh, you know, this happened to me about 20 some odd years ago and this kind of sparked a lot of it. So when I was, I think I was 19 or 20 and I, I went to go do some volunteer work um, in an organization that we had kind of uh, helped fundraise for here. And it was in an area in Northern uh, Pakistan um, through an organization called Focus Humanitarian Assistance. And we went to this region where we had, we'd, you know, over here in Canada, we'd helped fundraise building some schools um, for, um, uh, for, for young girls. So in those regions, young girls weren't really educated past a certain age, and we had fundraised to build schools so that they could you know, have uh, an education up until the end of, uh, end of high school. And I remember landing, going to that region, and, uh, and the most, you know, I remember the, the kids specifically were so excited about pencil and a piece of paper. <laughs> like, like it was mind-boggling to me. You know, we, we, we just realized how, how lucky and fortunate we are here, but yeah, how we take yeah. things for granted. They, the, it was like they had – you'd given them a computer by giving them a pencil and a piece of paper. Crazy. Um, and that, for me, was probably one of the biggest um, eye-opening uh, experiences of just really you know, realizing and not only being grateful for what we have here, but – um, you know, what, you know, the, the impact that we can have by just, you know, with the, the impact a pencil and a piece of paper can have, um, in, in other, uh, areas of the world. And so to me, I think, uh, that, that would have probably been one of the most memorable moments, uh, you know, that, that in, 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 in my experiences with it. And then locally here, I mean, there's an organization that we work with called Kids Safe, and, um, you know, uh, you know, KidSafe is again operating in the downtown downtown Vancouver East Side. It's specifically working with four, you know 400 kids in that in that area that are referred to by by teachers in that in that region. And we're we're you know the, the program is all about uh, not only providing those kids with you know food at school and some additional special attention, but also uh, after school programming. Uh, and break programming. And so for me, it's exciting. We took, um, uh, you know, uh, that group, I remember doing uh, winter break uh, to the Christmas market, to Science World. And it was just the activities for these kids, you know, just being bused to being able to, you know, go to Science World, which is a, a great, um, you know, exhibit here in Vancouver for kids to kind of, you know, play with different, you know, uh, science related projects. Um but again, just, you're just seeing a smile on a kid's face. It's not like you're giving them, you know, like a, an iPad or a tablet or, or, or something <laughs> expensive. You're yeah. just getting them an entrance into being around other kids and being in a Christmas uh, environment uh, uh, and going on a ride or just allowing them to go to science world. It just, you know, I think that, that you know, working with young, 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 vulnerable kids and youth and, and just seeing, again, that smile on their face to me is, you know, is, is everything. It's, it's unbelievable. So. Oh, wow. Wow. Thank you for letting us take that uh, that journey with you and, and to feel what you uh, are experiencing. <laughs> when you say the power of the pencil, uh, I don't know if you knew this the quote unquote. It's a folklore story about how the, the NASA engineers were trying to figure out how to uh, how to uh, have uh, have a, a pen with ink in it right in space. The, the Russians just sent a pencil up. 
that's so awesome. that's, awesome. that's that's the power of the pencil man right there take us through uh your journey now at uh at victory square labs where you're investing in people performance and possibilities to foster e- emerging technology solutions just kind of walk around that. and it starts with finding solutions for pain points and market gaps and 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 you know how you bring in an accelerator partners i mean this is this is a, is is starting the journey outright which pays his pain points but then providing the right resources to allow these pain points to evolve and ultimately uh, develop to a business yeah so i think you know they're they're kind of a, a couple of things uh, you know around that i was super fortunate to have been there doing you know kind of the the first dot-com boom when you know the internet kind of democratized access to and sharing of information and you know through smartphones kind of connecting the the world um and seeing you know the entrepreneurs that kind of emerged at, at both of those different kind of entry points and how they were changing the way things were you know being done I think as we look forward a couple of years, a couple of years ago, we realized that there's a, you know, that there's a, another massive change, uh, you know, kind of happening. And I think where over the next decade, we're going to see disruption across almost every industry at a level we can't even, you know, kind of imagine. And every time there's innovation, it happens, um, fast, you know, it's faster and faster and faster. And so I think, you know, when we, we started looking for kind of entrepreneurs that were game changers, entrepreneurs that were kind of looking forward and seeing what, you know, things like robotics and Internet of Things and in AI and blockchain and how they were going to kind of disrupt the next um, uh, decade. And those are the types of entrepreneurs that we've trying to been, you know, we've, we've been trying to connect with to uh, work with them uh, in the verticals and, and, and spaces that, that, you know, we have um, kind of relationships with. And if you look back, you know, you remember that during the, the you know, initial dot-com boom, um, you know, as a consumer, it was great. The, you know, internet and in and, and the smartphone kind of example you know, made our lives kind of, you know, faster and easier and, and, and better. But if you were a business, uh, you didn't adapt, um, you pretty much withered by the wayside. We've seen examples of Blockbuster or Kodak and, and those oh, types yeah. of businesses. So, you know, when you reference pain point, you know, for us, there's kind of two big things. One, we see a massive shift happening. So we're trying to identify those entrepreneurs that are working in those areas, not only for us to, you know, to build new businesses that will kind of emerge and, 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 you know, over the next kind of decade, but at the same time, there are a ton of large organizations that, you know, hopefully we want to go to them to help them adapt and learn from, you know, past kind of mistakes that other large companies, um, you know, made by not kind of adopting or, or, or adjusting or being flexible and going in there and identifying pain, point, pain points in their businesses and helping get uh, young entrepreneurs or, or founders that are working on disruptive tech into uh, advising or piloting their projects with some right. of these, um, these, these large customers um, to help them kind of uh, adapt. It's almost a win-win for for startups, the challenge they generally have is getting customers. Right, for large right. companies, the, ta- mm-hmm. the challenge they have is innovating. Mm-hmm. So kind of, you know, us in, in our said almost facilitating those two things, which is kind of a win-win-win for um, for everyone in, 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 in kind of that, um, that area. So. And how are, how are the, uh, the companies needing innovation, embracing what it is you're doing? Well, they love, they love it. I mean, I think, you know, for, for them, um, uh, you know, we, we almost, you know, take that that burden off of off of them. They've they've got distribution. They're really good at what they're they're doing, um, and you know, it's always kind of 
thinking outside the box. So for them, by you know, we allow them to think outside of the box by bringing us in to almost, we kind of refer to creating a living lab yes. within there. Yes. Um, and one of the things that's interesting is that, so you'll see a large company, I'll, I'll give you an example, you know, Foxwoods Casino, uh, it's the largest native band casino in the US. It's outside of Connecticut. There's about 240 native band casinos in the, in, in the US. So they're dealing with challenges in their hospitality, gaming, food and beverage, type of businesses. Um, and they're so focused on their day-to-day business that, you know, they want to bring innovation in. So what we do is we partner up with them, build what we call the living lab. They identify a variety of different pain points that they, you know, that they think can help and create more efficiencies in their business. What we do then is we go work with, we work with about 80 accelerators around the world. So great is coming from everywhere, from Delhi, India, Estonia, you know, uh, uh, Estonia. Estonia. Yeah, Tallinn, Estonia, amazing place. Uh, yeah, Sao Paulo, Brazil. What, what, sorry, is, it, what is it called? Stalin? Uh, Estonia. It's, no, but sorry, you said, I think you said oh, Stalin. Oh, Okay, oh, okay, Tallinn. Oh, no, Tallinn. Okay. Yeah, yeah Tallinn's a major city. Uh, okay. And so, you know, we're able to, to find entrepreneurs around the world um, that are working on, let's say, exciting things that might solve some of those pain points in Foxwoods. We bring those companies to Canada through the startup visa program. And then we validate their technology uh, or, their, or, or their business in Foxwoods. And once it works, what's great is that Foxwoods has now solved the pain point in their business. We've now got a large customer in a large addressable market for that startup. And then we work with Foxwoods to scale that to the other 240 native bank casinos. So now they have an off you know, an, um, an, an off-site revenue stream. So, you know, it's, so large companies are willing to embrace it because, you know, again, they're good at what they do, but there's almost no risk to work with us to go and tap into our pool of entrepreneurs around the world to, you know, to come in and, 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 and help solve, you know, pain points. There's no skin off their kind of uh, their back and, and they embrace and, and, and love it. And I think, being based in Canada, we, we have access to uh, a lot of really, you know, great organizations, including the Canadian government, that are willing to actually allow organizations like ourselves to come in and, and, and allow for entrepreneurs to come in and pilot their their, their projects. Yeah, it's I, I I know when I travel with what some of the things that I do, the the Americans say, I can't believe what you have in Canada. We would so kill it if we would have, and yet they still kill it. And maybe actually that's, that maybe that's something that we, we shouldn't be doing is, is giving so much uh, ability uh, because you kind of, you kind of become used to it. There was um, Tony Lacavera. I don't know if you've heard of him before. Yeah. Yep. Global so Live. He, yeah. Yep. Global Live. So there he is. He comes down here with his book, uh, how we can win. And he talks about the IRAP uh, program. And mm-hmm. he talks about how it just enables pe- uh, companies to just keep staying in a laboratory. It doesn't encourage them to get out and commercialize it. And he said, we just, it's just yeah. nuts. And, and even some organizations, like bigger organizations who can afford the innovation, are taking advantage of it. And so yeah. uh, so that's, you know, on one side, it's really great. On the other side, maybe it's uh, it's actually been a little bit uh, restri- creating restri- uh, lack of growth. But that's another topic, my friend. So, Safine, take us, um, um, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question because I want to know if uh, about your conversation with your family, are your parents still with us? Yeah, they are. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, um, what's the conversation around around the uh, the dinner table at their house about what's happened with little Safine that it was totally not what we thought was going to happen? Well, so you know, I think it's funny. Um, I was uh, 
I, I, can I swear on, on this podcast? Don't, or, don't you or, fucking or, swear on my okay, podcast? Okay, okay. So, so you know, I, 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 I was a, I was a shit disturber as a kid. So I, I think I, I'll tell you a funny story about maybe twenty years ago. I was visiting my my, my parents here at home, and uh, we were at a um, in an event, and we ran into a former teacher of mine. And I was with my mom, and the teacher asked what I was doing. And at that time, I was working on a on a on a, on a, on a an individual tech tech project. And she was laughing and I go, my mom goes, why are you laughing? She goes, well, I thought Shafin was going to end up in jail. It was the funniest thing. But no, you know, my, you know, I think that I, I feel so fortunate, you know, to have had the parents that I had because despite all the trouble I got into as a kid, they always had my back. And I think, mm. I think psychologically knowing that if I fell, they would be there to catch me kind of gave me that, um, that edge to be able to shoot for the moon because I knew if I failed or I fell, my, my parents would be there to, to, to kind of have my back. And, you know, I think they're excited, uh, about everything that's happened. It's funny. My mom, I think is slowly now, you know, after 25 plus years <laughs> is finally understanding what I do for her. The biggest thing is to be able to tell her friends what, what it is I do. Um, my dad, my dad's been awesome. I mean, you know, I think he's always had my back. He's, you know, he's an entrepreneur, sure. came to a new country, worked his butt off, yeah. you know, supported us. I think, um, they're, you know, they're, they're excited. I think one of the things they both tell me now is I'm a workaholic and I have two young kids, um, as well, a, a mm -hmm. six-year-old and a four-year-old. And nice. I think my dad, my dad always tells me, you know, to, to find that balance when, when I was growing up, he was always working. So I didn't, we didn't really have a connection up mm. until like I was probably six or seven. Cause he would be gone before I woke up and back after I fell asleep. And so I think they have both encouraged, been, you know, really pushing me to kind of take a step back, spend mm. more time with uh, the kids and, and my wife and, sure. uh, but they're super stoked. I mean, they, they, they love it. They, you know, they, they've, um, been super proud and, and supportive and i'm you know so grateful that they've always had my back so yeah thank you for that journey with it i'm sure they are proud of you and uh and it's a it's a good it's wonderful to have that foundation you know your dad talks about that 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 balance and i i remember hearing a story of richard branson he was saying he says i don't understand this work-life balance he says isn't it all life isn't that what we should be balancing not just work and life and so so yeah, I mean it's it is with your DNA, but of course it really comes down to okay, where's my priority today? And my kids are all older; they're uh, 24 and 20, set of twins, and it's just you know once a week we get a date to talk on the phone, and the quality and the engagement is such at a high level. So yeah, I uh, I, I get the challenges with it, and, um, and and I think it's really comes back down to uh, you know hacks as to how you ultimately make it work, and you will your compassion's there. You know your family values are there, and your entrepreneurial drive is there too. And and we need you to keep doing what you do. And so selfishly, keep doing your magic, dude. That's really cool. So um, we're at the we're at the end of this amazing conversation, which I hope will continue on at some point. What's uh, what's the best way for people to to hang out with you? You know, I'm always around Vancouver, so you know we have a, a great a spot here, Launch Academy on Hastings. Shoot off. You know, shoot off an email, uh, check out our website, send us a note. Um, always here to 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 be a sounding board for uh, young entrepreneurs um, or for not for profit organizations looking for for some 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 help. So reach out on email um, on our uh, website or, or pop by Launch Academy and, and say what's up. 
So you say launchacademy.com.net? How's that? Or uh, sorry, so launchacademy is, is the space. Yeah, is the space. Yeah. But um, uh, our website is victorysquare.com. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. And, and you, you um, on LinkedIn? Yes. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so and his, his name is spelled Safin, S-H-A-F-I-N. And yeah. then the beautiful last name Diamond. <laughs> so my, my actually my first name is actually Shafine Diamond. So my okay. I, my parents yeah they gave me two first names. So Shafine Diamond is my first name. My last name is Tajani, uh, which is T E J A N I. Beautiful dude. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. It's been an epic conversation for me, uh, and uh, just keep doing your magic. and And if you're ever on the East Coast, because that's where I'm at, you can uh, you can definitely come and hang out, and we'll uh, we can talk what what's kind of some of the cool things that are happening around here that maybe we can uh, we can connect up and, and do business with. But uh, thanks so much, man. No, thanks for having me, and thank you, Startup Canada. And I just want to give you a shout out. I, I sent you a note on this, but uh, Relish Gourmet Burgers, uh, <laughs> green, green peppercorn poutine, yeah. uh, and Stampede Sauce and the Cabo Diablo. Um, you guys do amazing work here on Commercial Mag, Commercial Drive. I love that uh, spot. I'll definitely hit you up when I come down to the Maritimes. Keep on happening. Thanks, dude. Thanks, Thanks brother. Cheers. Take Cheers. care. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern.